Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for our Pharmacy Leadership Podcast. Our discussion for this podcast series focuses on leadership topics within pharmacy practice, including the business of pharmacy, development of leadership skills, career transitions, and more. My name is Rena Sackett, and I'm Director, Member Relations, and Liaison to the Section of Inpatient Care Practitioners within ASHP, and I'll be your host for today's episode. With me today is Todd Lemke, Director of Regional Pharmacy at Centric Care Health. Thanks so much for joining us today, Todd. Thank so, you very much. It's fun. Excellent. So let's get started talking about today's topic, pharmacist prescribing of COVID-19 antiviral medications in the rural setting. So just to get a better sense of what the landscape looks like right now, what is currently going on with prescribing COVID-19 antiviral medications? What is the issue you are seeing right now? All right. Well, first off, just kind of a little explanation about antivirals. So the CDC and the FDA have approved through emergency use authorizations, two medications, both need to be started within five days of COVID symptoms onset, and then they are taken for a total course of five days. Paxlovid, which is a combination of two antiviral medications, nirmatrelivir and ritonavir, is approximately about 89% effective in reducing hospitalizations due to COVID. Um, It needs to be renally dosed. It has a lot of significant drug-drug interactions, and the medications can be prescribed to people as young as 12 years old and weighing at least 40 kilograms. Molnupiravir is a little less effective. It's about 30% effective in reducing the rate of hospitalizations and death. Um, it doesn't have a lot of drug interactions, and it doesn't have any renal or hepatic dose changes. It's only authorized for people that are over 18, and pregnancy status really has to be discussed prior to starting this. So for females, they have to use a reliable contraceptive method while they're on the medication and for four days post-treatment. Males, they need to actually use a barrier method of contraception for about three months post-treatment. So currently, as far as prescribing, ASHP has been doing a lot of work with the White House and our legislators on allowing pharmacists to prescribe these antiviral medications. You probably heard about it through the test and treat initiative at President Biden's State of the Union address. The hang up is that in most states, pharmacists cannot independently prescribe. So test and treat is going to be somewhat limited um, to the scope unless there's some changes that are made. In Minnesota, and I think across the nation, I'm starting to hear that pharmacies are are applying to get these medications at their sites, so retail pharmacies. But right now, currently, at least in Minnesota, they're pretty restricted as where they're at, and a lot of them are just only in health systems. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, and it's it's great to have that background too on on the various you know COVID nineteen antivirals. So I'm glad you covered that a little bit more in depth. And I guess before we jump back into discussing the COVID-19 antivirals more, since pharmacist scope varies between different states, what is the current scope of practice for pharmacists prescribing in, in your state? You mentioned Minnesota. Yes. So in Minnesota, pharmacists can enter into a collaborative practice agreement with a provider, which allows a wide variety of prescribing abilities. Pharmacists are also able and to enter into statewide practice agreements that allow prescribing of nicotine replacement, self-administered contraception, and then naloxone. So 
at our specific site, Centricare, we've had a wide collaborative practice agreement in place for quite a while that allows us to prescribe medications that affect conditions for which the referral is made when a provider makes a referral to us. And these can be for a lot of different chronic health conditions, including diabetes, asthma, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, and pain medications. Once the antivirals came out, we really identified our, our medication therapy management pharmacists as the ideal people to prescribe these medications. And we quickly modified our collaborative practice agreement so that we would be able to do that. Yeah, that's so great to hear. So I guess given all of that information then, what approach has your health system developed to include pharmacists prescribing of COVID-19 antiviral medications? Sure. So we really recognize the complexities in screening patients. As I mentioned, there's a lot of drug interactions. There's renal dosing of these medications. There's there's some really tough conversations you have to have with people just to make sure that they're not pregnant. And so we, we felt that we really need to have kind of a core group of people that could do this really well versus just open this up to all of our huge number of primary care providers across our system. And initially, we, we were supplied with a very small dose of these med- or courses of these medications. Our, our initial supply was, I think, like only 60 courses across our whole system. And so we had already created a two-tiered approach to our, our um, screening. So patients that are diagnosed with COVID across our system or those that uh, qualified through the state system that kind of floated into our uh, screening pool, they were contacted by nurses. And we, we use or had been using up until recently a scoring system from Mayo and the University of Minnesota called the M-MASS score that allows you to stratify risk for hospitalization due to COVID. And patients had a high risk score above our threshold. Initially, when we had a, a large supply of monoclonal antibodies for COVID, they would get offered those medications. But as Omicron variant came into our communities, our monoclonal antibody choices really reduced, were reduced down to just the one product that we had. And so our, our ability to infuse these therapies was very limited. But fortunately, the antiviral medications became available around that time. And so what pharmacists do is they take the high-risk patients that have been screened by nurses, and they look at them for the eligibility for these medications. Uh, Patients get a call from the pharmacist. The pharmacist uh, reconciles all of their medications, counsels them over the phone if they're interested in the medication and how to take the medication, adverse drug effects and duration of action, changes that need to be made with their current medication therapy, because usually there's quite a few of those that need to be adjusted. The calls take between eight minutes for a real simple one to about 20 minutes. Uh, The medications then are prescribed to one of our eight urban or rural hospital pharmacies for dispensing. And we had initiated uh, contactless pickup for those medications. So the patients just pull up to a a door, they call a phone number that they're given, and uh, a pharmacist brings it out and pops it in their trunk or tosses it through through a window, basically. And then any patients that didn't qualify 
get scheduled for the monoclonal antibody infusions. Um, and that can be for a variety of, of health conditions that a person might have that you wouldn't want to stop a medication and, and so that you couldn't use the, the medications for the antivirals. Currently, we've got 13 MTM pharmacists that rotate the screening activity across our system. And so far in the last two and a half months, we've prescribed 540 courses of these medications. So I, I thought that was a, a pretty good success to be able to do all that in a very short period of time. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's neat to hear some of those numbers too. Um, and it sounds like pharmacists are very integrated in your process. So that is really, really great to hear. Something you mentioned was supply of these meds have been, it's been low. So we've seen limited availability of these medications continue to be a challenge for providers, especially in the rural setting. Is there a way for you to know which sites have the medications available or how do you know which sites to send patients to? Yeah, so we're, we're really fortunate to have kind of a shared network already in place amongst all of our sites. And so we created a, a live worksheet so that that the pharmacist that was prescribing the medication could decrement that from the site list of, of how many they had. We had all of basically an Excel spreadsheet that had how many doses site A had, B had, C had, and we just would decrement one each time a, a prescription was sent to that pharmacy. And then the pharmacy was able to add doses as they came in. So we always had a real-time supply of what was at each different site. That way, when a pharmacist making calls from our critical access hospital in Painesville, Minnesota, they could go ahead and prescribe an antiviral for a patient picked up to at our Monticello hospital. So, and those medications usually could be available in less than 30 minutes with uh, during the, the times that we were available. And we were able to extend hours at some of our, our larger hospitals who were able to really get those medications almost around clock for people. And we, during this time, we had a, a fairly large outbreak at one of our smaller towns at a long-term care facility. And we were able to kind of mobilize the antivirals to get to that site pretty easily by sending a bunch from pooling them from our other sites so that they would be able to get it quicker. Gotcha. Great. So something else, you talked a little bit about the screening process for patients before. So I'm curious about what reactions have you had from people when you call to screen them for these antiviral medications? Are they generally receptive? Are those, how do those conversations go? Wow. Well, you know, there's there's been some, you know, the, this pandemic has been really horrible, but it's also been very rewarding as a, as a pharmacist, just because of the things that we get to do to help people out. I know with vaccinations, you, you, you get so many people thanking you for the things that you're doing when you're helping them and giving them a vaccine. But I, I think this was very similar. I, I think the, the major thing that we would get from people was relief. You know, they were at home, they were feeling horrible. They didn't really know what was going on. They were scared and they had someone kind of telling them what we could possibly do to help them. So I think they, they really felt good about that. You know, they, we've, we had family members that we were talking with that their parent maybe had dementia and they were really scared about having to bring them to an infusion site because they didn't know what would happen if they took them out of their home environment. So being able to get a medication that they could take right at home. You know, the fact that they didn't have to enter a pharmacy to pick it up because we had some people that maybe didn't have friends or families 
that were close that would actually help them. So they were able to come to the pharmacy, get the medication. And we also had those very interesting conversations where you had people that wanted to know, well, how, how much better is this than ivermectin? You know, and, and so you get those kind of weird thing questions too. But overall, I think people are very appreciative. And, and as I've learned throughout the COVID pandemic, it really shows our shared humanity when we care for each other in these difficult times. Yeah, I think if I were in that position, I would feel relief as well. So I'm sure that did bring a sense of comfort, you know, learning about about those options. So I guess looking at this more broadly since the onset of the pandemic, what other challenges have you seen, particularly in the small and rural setting related to caring for patients with COVID-19? Sure. Well, uh, scarce resources. I know that's been universal across the, uh, the, uh, the United States. But I, I think we found that, especially in our small, small and rural settings, we had to do a lot more than we were previously capable of. Prior to COVID surges, you know, we, we sent our patients out that needed cardiac interventions to our larger hospital. Patients that needed to be ventilated or had a trauma, they, they would automatically, you know, either skip our hospital or come to our hospital for stabilization. And then they'd be on their way either by air or ambulance to our larger hospital. But during COVID, there were days that there were no beds in our five-state area available. And we had to keep these patients. We had to maintain medications um, that we needed to have people on a ventilator, you know, and, and I remember the first time that we had a person that we were keeping on the vent, I used all of midazolam in my hospital. <laughs> it was amazing. It, you just, you didn't have, um, I had to go to an, our, one of our other nearby hospitals to get more midazolam just to get this person through until our order came in. You know, we had to kind of figure out how to manage heart attacks without a cath lab. There were, there were some really tough decisions that were made whether to treat or not treat people with certain illnesses. And, you know, we had many more people die than, than, than we've had in the past in our hospital. And so it was, it was, it was definitely a tough time, but I think what I learned and, and I knew this before too, is that, you know, our small and rural hospital teams, we work really well together. There's not the silos that prohibit good, you know, care. People work well. We we are dependent on each other to maintain our resilience. And so I, I think, you know, whether while there were a lot of challenges, I, I think it really showed how strong the small hospitals were. Absolutely. Having that communication is so, so vital in, in the inter, interdisciplinary space. You've mentioned already how pharmacists have had a huge impact in prescribing and facilitating patients receiving COVID-19 antiviral medications. Have pharmacists in your health system played other parts in the pandemic response? Sure. Yeah, I, I would say the pandemic response really showed the need for pharmacists in our health system. You know, our pharmacists were part of the COVID clinical pathways committee that showed uh, this kind of decided which therapies were going to be used in our system and how they were going to be used, who was going to be able to gain access to them. We helped plan, coordinate, and staff mass vaccination clinics. I think that was a, a big thing with, especially with the complexity of mixing some of the vaccines. And then also just managing system-wide medic medication access. There's just huge quantities of medications that we wouldn't normally use that we had to get and, and trying to allocate that across the system. I know a lot of times um, because of allocations, we had all of our hospitals ordering as much of a, a product that we could get. And then we ended up having to share it 
depending on where it was needed the most. Um, you know, we had pharmacists, including myself, administering sub-Q monoclonal antibodies in our long-term care settings when we didn't have enough nurses to, to go out and do that. So, and, and our technicians really stepped up. You know, we, at times we were preparing 30 monoclonal antibody infusions a day on top of our regular infusion schedule. And so that was just a huge amount of extra work. And just taking care of all of the mandatory state and federal reporting of medications and vaccines on hand, our, our technicians just really did a, an amazing job making sure that that uh, we still maintained our inventory and and we would get replenished based on what we had. A quick shout out also to our pharmacy technicians. Um, they're so appreciated, and um, it's it's great to great to hear that they've you know stepped up. How have you seen health systems, your state, and federal resources work together during this crisis? Well, I, I was really proud of, of the, the response from the state of Minnesota. So all of our health systems, along with the, the, the State Department of Health Formula Command Center, kind of at the beginning of COVID, and that has been in place, you know, at various levels, it's been busier than others, but they really helped out roll out and create access for COVID therapies, whether it was the vaccine or, or the monoclonal antibodies or, or the antivirals. And we meet on a regular ongoing basis, kind of with different groups to talk about different types of therapies. And, and you know, when you get on those calls, it'd be a Zoom meeting that, that there'd be 300, 400 people on. It was amazing. You know, you had all these people focused on one thing. So, so you know, that really helped us roll out our ed vaccine education and planning. And I also got really got to know the our State Department of Health staff very well, especially during our, our rollout of vaccines for our long-term care patients, because they, you know, they wanted to know on a weekly basis how many people had you given your vaccines to and how many people were left. And and all there was a lot of reporting that went on, but they were they were very real people. So that was a good thing. Um, and we also had a similar relationship for our monoclonal antibodies and antivirals. You know, we, we are routinely updated by the state um, on, on different changes that they're making as far as who we can screen and who we can't and, and what levels of screening um, allows them to get access to which, which medication. And so that's been very helpful to have that good relationship with the state and federal resources. Yeah, definitely. I've really enjoyed hearing your perspective on all of this today, Todd. But I guess my last question for you is, is there anything that we didn't cover that you want to make sure our audience hears on this topic? Yeah, I, I really want to make sure that we all circle back with our coworkers and staff and really relay gratitude for the level of care and dedication they've shown through this pandemic so far. I think that's one thing that we, we sometimes forget when we're really busy, where we are, are really so focused on getting the job done, we don't go back and kind of circle back and say, hey, thanks, you really did like an amazing job. And the, and the bonds that we've made will definitely make us stronger in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Such a great discussion. I know members will value hearing from your experiences on this topic. So that is all the time we have for today. But I want to thank Todd again for joining us to discuss not only pharmacists prescribing of COVID-19 antivirals in the rural setting, but 
also the pandemic response more broadly in the small and rural setting. For our listeners, you can find more member-exclusive content, including resources for self-development, leading pharmacy enterprises and teams, and practice management on the ASHP website. Thank you for joining us, and be sure to subscribe to the ASHP Official Podcast. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.